reading from Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one and, the, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Good, thank you. So I'm going to do... um, Two more messages uh, on the theme of personal transformation. We've been doing this for quite some time. Um, as I say, if you'd like to hear any of the previous ones, uh, there's a red card that's at the back of the, uh, just in the entrance there. Pick up one of those red cards and you can uh, see, uh, you can hear the other ones if you want to. But I've covered, I've covered quite a lot of material uh, around the idea of the renewing of your mind, uh, about connecting with the universal mind. And I want to cover two topics in these last two weeks on this series that I think are central to this whole idea of personal transformation. This week, I want to talk about meditation. And next week, I want to talk about worship. Those two areas, meditation and worship. Do you know, after the service last week, someone asked me uh, why I was talking about the universal mind rather than the universal heart? And I think that's quite an interesting question. Um, I said that I thought that the whole concept of mind had its root in the idea of memory. When you look at the, the actual where the word mind comes from, it comes from a German word that actually means memory. And that gives the idea of order being created uh, either out of our rational minds, through the memories that we have, or our body minds, or you know, the, by the mind that a seed remembers how to germinate, or by the planetary mind that remembers how to order the planet, right up to that idea that we've been talking about of the universal mind that facilitates the order of the universe. But it's interesting that in both meditation and worship, it's our hearts that we connect with. In meditation and worship, it's our hearts that we connect to. Now, I've said before that I, I, I think that love is the language of the universe. And therefore, our connecting point with the universe is through love. So perhaps in connecting through love, our hearts are also connecting with the heart of the universe. It sounds like a huge idea, but maybe it's the heart of the universe, the heart that created the Big Bang, 
and the order which is held in the memory of the universal mind. Just look at the nature of heart and, and mind. But that's probably for a different, <laughs> probably for a different message. Otherwise, we, we'll be here all day. Um, but, uh, but in truth, <clears throat> we're really, you know, when we talk about all this sort of stuff, heart, mind, universal mind, I mean, we're really counting the number of angels on the head of a pin. You know, it's all just splitting hairs and trying to work out. I mean, we're trying to come up with concepts that are so difficult, uh, you know, to put together. Who knows how, how this all comes together? You know, certainly not me. Um, and that was the point of last week when we were really talking about the idea that we don't know and, and relaxing into the idea we don't know, relaxing into just being in that present moment. We can't really, really know what's going on. That wonderful Psalm 136, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And I I think we can really hold on to that uh, as a way of entering into something without having to understand it. Robert, my friend at the back, always says that understanding is the booby prize. And I think that's right. You know, it's not about understanding. But yet through the ages, you know, we've been trying to work it out. You know, we've gone from God being a chariot that passes over the sky. You know, we've gone, God's an old man with a beard. You know, he's Jesus at the right hand. And now he's, you know, the universal mind or universal consciousness. The truth is that all are equally lame and all are equally valid for the cultures that that were there at those particular times. Because we're trying really to describe the indescribable. As it says in the Tao Te Ching, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. So all we can do is really work out what we know, what, we, what can we know. And that's where we come, you know, to the whole idea of meditation, which is really meditation is the way that we enter, and I know some of you are looking out there, some of you think, no, meditation is not for me, I don't want you know. Just, just, just go with it, just for, just for today, really. That's why meditation is really the way that we enter into that portal of love. That's the entry point. Interesting enough, you know, a portal is a gateway. A portal is a gateway. When you look up, that's what it is. And hence this reading that we had. Hence this reading that we had, you know, and it's lovely, you know, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. They're they're so comforting, those words. It just says, yes, it's okay. You you will be able to make some progress on this. You know, if you really put your heart into it, you know, seek first the kingdom, you will be able to make some progress. Everyone who, who knocks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's saying the universe is going to give you what you need and what you want. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him stone? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or he asks for a fish, will give him a steak? If you then, you know, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. If you're not perfect and you know how to give, you know, the universe is going to give to you. you. You know, it is set up that way. You know, which is really saying, do your practice and your purpose in life will be revealed. If you do your purpose earnestly, then your purpose in life will be revealed. So in everything, do unto others 
what you will have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. It's interesting that the golden rule is in this place. That, that, this, this is, you know, that, that line is called the golden rule. It appears in every single religion. It may not appear in the satanic worship of the, you know, Lucifer or something like that. But, you know, all the sort of traditional religions, that line does appear. And it is really known as the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have done to you. The golden rule. And then it comes into it. It, Then it says, enter through the narrow gate. For the wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Only a few will find it. The narrow gate is the gate that opens when we take our attention from our minds into our hearts. That is the narrow gate. Where there is only one thought, and that is opening our hearts to the universe, opening our hearts to God. The one purpose. Wide is the highway of our endless thoughts that will take us absolutely anywhere. That is why it's, you know, they'll just take us, you know, you can go in any direction. All of us have a thought about absolutely everything. And that is the wideness that he's talking about. It is the narrow gate that is the portal to love. It is the narrow gate where you narrow it down into your heart. I read from the uh, Clyde of Unknowing last week, and William Johnson has uh, done an introduction to the, his translation uh, of Cloud of Unknowing. And he says, he says, the author of the Cloud of Unknowing speaks of two clear steps on the way to enlightenment. Two clear steps. The first is the rejection of all thoughts about what I am and what God is. The rejection of, of all thoughts about what I am. In other words, thinking about you know, who, what I am, who am I, and what God is. You know, what's it all about? You know, rejection of that. And in order to be conscious only that I am and that God is. So we're not asking questions about God. We're admitting that we don't know, but we're just knowing that we are. I know that I am because I know that I am. And I know that God is because I know that God is. You know, it's those two things, knowing that I am and knowing that God is. He says, that's the first one. The second on the way to enlightenment is the rejection of all thought and feeling of my own being. It's the rejection of thought and feeling of my own being and to be conscious only of the being of God. Only be conscious of the being of God, which actually you know, echoes the idea that Thomas Merton had that we've spoken about here before of God utters me like a word and a word cannot be conscious of the voice that utters it. But if I can be uh, an aspect of that word that God is, utters in me, then I'm full of him. It is the idea of being part of that universal self. And I'd like to just see these two steps are the two steps that we're going to look at this week and next week. You know, looking at, at, at that I am and that God is rather than what God is and what, what I am is the first step, which is meditation. And the second step is worship, the idea of rejection of all thought and feeling of my own being and being conscious only of the being of God. That is ecstasy, ecstasis, being outside of yourself. That is the ecstasy of worship. 
And we'll talk about the ecstasy of worship uh, next week. So the first meditation is about realizing that I am and that God is. The second worship is the abandonment of our own being to inhabit the being of God. We are inhabiting the being of God in worship. I say we'll talk about that next week. But this week, I want, I want to put the case for meditation and encourage you in your practice or to take up a practice if you haven't got it. Um, I've often said that uh, we are a community committed to personal transformation through practice. And actually, you know, this is even evolving a little bit. People have been coming up to me and saying, well, you know, there's a little bit more, isn't there, than that? A, a community committed to personal transformation through practice. And we're changing it a bit. And now I would want to say that we are a community committed to personal transformation through practice and study. And study. Because you can't really get to the heart of practice without study, without looking at, at, at the whole body of of understanding. You know, this chapel was built 50 years ago based on an understanding of how architecture comes together. And, you know, he didn't have to invent the wheel to, to build this chapel. You know, he, the, all, the, all the bits were there for him to do it. And so when we do these things, when we do our spiritual practice, it's based upon what people have discovered in the past. We don't come to it, oh, how do I make this up straight from now? There's a whole raft of People have been thinking about this for, for ages. And, you know, we want to use what people are doing. And, you know, we're going to be emphasizing study over this next period of time a bit. There'll be study groups before the Thomas Keating uh, event. Uh, Insights is going to do, be studying Thomas Keating a bit. And do look out for those because uh, uh, Barbara's going to really be leading a, a Thomas Keating study group here during Insights. There are going to be book groups. War's going to do a book group for Matthew Fox. There's going to be a book group for Barr and Katie. And next year, we hope to set up chapel sanghas, which are small groups for people to study together. Just small groups, five or six people, where people can sit together and study. And we'll be looking, possibly doing that next year. All of which goes to say that although in meditation, we bring our attention from our rational minds to our hearts, we by no means check our minds at the door. You know, we don't just leave our minds behind. It's not a, a thoughtless, mindless thing. It's only by using our minds that we can come to something as counterintuitive as meditation. It's only by using your minds that you can actually, that, that the rational mind can come to something that is as counterintuitive as meditation. I've said before that, you know, evolution of humanity, the evolution of humanity will not now, I don't think, come by our minds getting any smarter. You know, we've become so smart that all we do nowadays is try and outsmart each other. It's all about smarts nowadays. You know, you're just going, and it isn't bringing us to a point of peace. It's not bringing us to a point of understanding. It is not a route that, it, that will provide evolution. You know, we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and getting smarter and smarter. I mean, I'm, I'm all for technology and stuff like that, you know, and that will continue. But, you know, the evolution of consciousness is not about getting smarter. You know, the evolution of consciousness from now comes, I think, about us using our hearts rather than our minds to navigate our way through the narrow gate, through that portal of love. 
So I just want to take a look from the top at the rationale for entering into the narrow gate. This is my rationale. People who've been on the developing conscious course in Carbondale, I sort of used this for the first time there. So I might be repeating myself a little bit, but there are some extra bits as well. But this is my rationale for, for meditation. The idea is that the universe, uh, in the universe is, that the, is that the language the universe uses is love. And by that I mean that, you know, the Big Bang in the first place was created out of love. The definition we use for love here is giving with no expectation of return. Love is giving with no expectation of a return. There's no, there's no bill offered, no check given at the end of it. There's no expectation that there's going to be a return on love. So the universe create, was created at the Big Bang. There wasn't an expectation of a return that I've heard of. You know, it just all happened. And then, you know, it appeared, and within the universe, within the universe as it appears, was a latent consciousness. You know, maybe only at a subatomic level, but parts were still reacting to each other out there, out of their very being. So there was something in there that enabled there to be transformation. And then, you know, blah, 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 however million years later, on Earth, you know, and maybe elsewhere, those reactions created single-cell organisms. And they had a consciousness of sorts. And that drove them to become more complicated organisms, you know, plants and animals. The creatures of the sea became conscious of the land and crawled out. So I'm suggesting that evolution is the driver here, uh, that consciousness is the driver of evolution. Consciousness is the driver of evolution. It is not a material, physical thing. There is a latent driver that is making things happen. And gradually, those evolved into the creatures that we see today. And as animals developed, human beings appeared with the unique ability to self-reflect. The unique ability to self-reflect. And we could look out at our universe from the small part of ourselves that was also part of the universe. I can look out at the universe from a part of myself, and I am part of the universe, and, you know, we became the universe conscious of itself for the first time. The universe became conscious of itself. We could look out and go, yeah, there's the universe. I'm part of the universe. The universe is actually, in me speaking to you, the universe is speaking to itself. And, And we've developed that consciousness by, you know, becoming civilized, understanding the way the world's worked through science, And we also started to become conscious of something deep within ourselves that was impelling us forward. We became aware of that impelling forward. And so the story of God became part of who we are. You can look at the story of God right back from, you know, know, right back from early times. There's a story of the awareness of God that goes into different forms, manifestations. You know, the story is developing. And as we studied our ideas about God, They changed and developed until we began to see the same heart that created the universe also created us. And that our lives were given to us out of love. You know, we're given our lives with no expectation of a return. And we began to see the love at the heart of everything and realize that for us to become an active part of the evolution of consciousness for us to become an active part of that evolution, we have to become love. We have to become one with that love. We have to open the portal of love and connect with that universal mind 
and so become one with the heart of the universe. That, that is the purpose of human beings. That we are taking it on, the universal consciousness, and, 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 and moving it forward. And that's not, something, that's not something we could think through because it was beyond our comprehension. We can't think this through. We can't be smart about it. It's beyond our comprehension. Hence, all the great world religions of today have at their heart an emphasis on this contemplative way. It is at the center of all the great world religions, that idea of connecting fundamentally, moving from our thoughts to our hearts and giving of ourselves with no expectation of return, becoming portals of love through which love can come into the world and transform it. And that is what is happening in meditation. That's what you're doing in meditation. We're rejecting all thoughts about what I am and what God is in order to be conscious only that I am in our breath or in our focus. And that God is. And in meditation, we open the portal of love both from the universe to us and then from us into the universe and the world through us. We become portals of that love. You might think that you, you know, as, as who you are, aren't going to make any difference at all. You know, what's David's portal of love going to make any difference to the scheme of things as he opens up his little portal of love? But you forget that in the spiritual world, everything is equal. Everything is equal. Just think about it. You know, a potassium element is no better or worse than a magnesium element. It has no greater value than a magnesium element. You know, a cow has no greater or less value than a wolf or a bee or a blade of grass. That you, spiritually, you and Jesus or Buddha have equal value. You have equal value. Everything is equal. And everything is included within the web of transcendence that goes to make up the universe. All tiny little dots, all included within that web of transcendence to go to make up the universe. And so you, as a point of love, is of equal value to the infinitesimal atoms that go to make up a nuclear reaction. It's of the same value. Everything is equal. Scale is irrelevant when you're talking spiritually. But what is relevant is who we are and what our lives mean. That is relevant. You know, each of us has a totally unique perspective on life. Each of us has a particular view informed by our struggles and our trials. And our ability to transform consciousness is directly connected to our ability to transform the trials and struggles that life brings us. That is the grist for our mill. No one is better at us at creating value out of our lives. Not Jesus, not Buddha, not even Mother Teresa could create more value out of your lives than you could. We are unique. And if we can see that in our lives, the universe is bringing us that those circumstances, that grist for our mill, in other words, useful experience, material or knowledge, then we can see that it really, this is the universe saying to us individually, deal with this issue, not just for yourself, 
but on behalf of all humanity. Deal with this pain, not just for yourself, but on behalf of all humanity, like the hundredth monkey. Look it up if you don't know it. Be the hundredth monkey. The level of consciousness we bring to transforming these issues has a direct impact on the level of consciousness of the world. Bob brought me this quote from Martin Luther King, which I thought was so good. He said, returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And our role in life is to use our trials to transform hurt and anger into love. And that makes each one of us uniquely useful in the transformation and in the evolution of consciousness. We're equally useful if we could but see it and if we could but decide to put our attention on it. And it means that each of our lives has meaning. Each one of us here, our lives have meaning. And one of the key facts we do this, the key ways that we do this rather, is through practice. Letting go of our thoughts, the broad way, and putting our attention on whatever point of focus for us is important so that we become a beacon of love. Which is why I want you to encourage you to take up a meditation practice if you haven't got one, and to deepen it if you do have one. I use this quote in Developing Conscious, but I just think it is an amazing quote, this. This is Rowan Williams, who was the last Archbishop of Canterbury. And he was looking out at the problems of the world and the mess that is existing out there at the moment. And this is what he said about it. He said, to put it boldly, meditation is the only ultimate answer to the unreal and insane world that our financial systems and our advertising culture and our chaotic and unexamined emotions encourage us to inhabit. He said, to learn meditative practice is to learn what we need so as to live truthfully and honestly and lovingly. It is a deeply revolutionary matter. So that is, is quite a statement. To put it boldly, meditation is the only ultimate answer to the unreal and insane world that our financial systems and our advertising culture and our chaotic and unexamined emotions encourage us to inhabit. And it is that because it takes us out of all of that, into our hearts. To learn meditative practice is to learn what we need so as to live truthfully and honestly and lovingly it is a deeply revolutionary matter. So should we give it a try? We're going to give it a try. Whether you like it or not, we're going to give it a try. <laughs> I can't do all this shtick about meditation and then not make you do a bit of meditation. So there we are. It's my meditation chair. So, um, so what I'm going to ask you to do, I've got my pingers here as well, because... You can't do meditation without these. So, yeah. It's not proper meditation if you're not doing that. So we're going to give it a try. And, and really, you know, the key thing about this is you are, you know, realizing what's going on in your minds, the focus of your minds, and then you're bringing yourself down into your heart. 
and you're just focusing on your breath. You begin to focus on your breath. Don't do it quite yet. Can I see? The trouble is, it feels like dying. Because we inhabit the world of our minds. And so when we start to go away from the world of our minds, we think it's death. The mind is saying, you're dying. How can you leave me behind? I'm the one that keeps you alive. I'm life as you are. I'm who you are. And so it does feel like death. But, you know, always good to quote Jesus in the chapel. Um, You know, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground. Do you remember that quote? Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, if it doesn't do that, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. Unless a grain of wheat dies and and, and falls to the ground, if it doesn't do that, it remains a single grain. But if it does, if it's willing to die, it will then bring forward much fruit. And really, you know, the the thing that you do feel, if you want some bunts, I know everyone wants a bit of bunts, you know, really, if you want some bunts from it, what you do experience there is complete peace. Do you know, I think that's what people are looking for a lot in the world, really. It is the peace that passes all understanding. Because it's not about understanding. It is just complete peace. And when you get there, you do experience that complete peace. So, we're ready to have a quick go. So, just close your eyes. And just notice what's going on in your mind. Notice the thoughts of, I thought I was coming to church here, not, not my meditation class. And now when you're ready, just bring your mind down, bring your attention down into your breath. If, you're doing this, if you do this a lot, you've got a mantra or something, just go there. But bring it into your breath. And just become aware of your breathing. It's interesting, the colic for purity, it says, uh, I love divine to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. You know, may I be in my breath that I may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, that I might become love. So again, from your thoughts, into your heart, into your breath. And when your mind starts to act again, just back to your breath, breathing in, breathing out. I'm going to start with a ping and I'll end with a ping.
just being present to your breath. Not working out what you're doing, just being present. And when thoughts come, let them be there and just come back to your breath. So let's pray. As we pray, we just focus on particular things, particular ideas, and we just give ourselves in love to those things and those ideas. And this Memorial Day, we particularly think of those who gave their lives. Think of those who are in service now and all those affected by that service in the past and in the present. We do think about the Coffey family after the death of Sam in Mexico at only 29. We continue to think of the family of Tyler Ribich also Andrew Travis's family after the death of his mother Rita. Gene Gates's family after Susan Wampler's father who died recently. And we pray for Dan and Judy Leffler, for Cody Horn recovering from back surgery, from Don Windhorse, Matt's father recovering from hip surgery. For George Brewster, CP's brother struggling with cancer. For Helen Gotchi. For Taylor Patterson. And Mimi Schlumberger. We offer our hearts to the world. For peace. Thinking of areas where there is war. Thinking of people who are homeless, hungry, hospitalised, in prisons unable to affect their circumstances. We give our hearts and love to these people. Amen.